Hallelujah. Well, it's kind of nice in January at the end when you can wake up in the morning and you can't even see your breath, isn't it? February starts tomorrow, and every day we get closer. I think spring's going to be here soon. I can't complain about this winter. I'm so glad that you're here today. Every time I look at the weather and see what it is for Sunday, I'm going, Lord, you just took another excuse away from your people, not being in the house of the Lord. So I'm glad you're here today. Praise the Lord. These past several weeks, we have been looking at the life of King Saul and some of the weaknesses that had been demonstrated there that held him back from being able to accomplish everything that God had created him for. It was fear. The, uh, first, we talked about the fear that kept him out of the battle with Goliath, which generally was a battle that he should have been fighting. The fear of insecurity when he hid, when he hid in the storage tent among the, the supplies when it was time for his coronation. Fear uh, or the facing anger that had begun to arise as the Lord lifted his hand of favor off of him and put it on David and how he began to think, if I can just kill David, all my problems will be solved. His anger began to come within him. And throughout these past weeks, we've been having times of prayer with these uh, that have come just so we can begin to deal with these. And today we're going to begin to deal with the words specifically in the area of physical healing. And then at the end of the service, we're going to be praying for physical healing. Part of this has come for us, for those of you that have attended for a while, you know that the last Sunday in January, for the last three or four years, is a Sunday that we set aside for this. The reason being is that many of you have been involved in fasting over the month of January. Some of you did Daniel fast. Many of you were involved in our week of prayer. Uh, and, and as we get to the end of that, I can't think of a better time when our faith is strong, when we have humbled ourselves before God to seek His face, that His will would be done, not that we earn anything through our fasting, but that we allow him to understand through uh, things that we normally participate in and feel really good about. Lord, I want to set those on the side because I want you to know during this time of prayer that I think more of you than I think of myself. We're just preparing ourselves for this. I believe that as we come to church this morning that there is a preparation that has taken place within us. And I hope that you have come expecting today you have come expecting, not to be an observer, but to come expecting to participate in what God wants to do. Today I want to talk to you about the risk of faith. The risk of faith. Some of you might say, well, what do you mean, Pastor, by risking of faith, the risk of faith? I believe that each of us in moments of our life, and whether that will be today or whether it's been in the past or whether something will come to you in the future, that you feel prompted of the Spirit of the Lord within you, that you need to do something, but you recognize that it's out of out of normal for you. So the Lord is drawing you to a place that would be out of your convenience zone. I want you to know, the Lord is not does not have a does not have a convenience place for you. He's always leading you, and He's always going to be leading you in areas that are going to require of you more and more trust in Him. And so, if you come to a place in your life where you feel spiritually, I've just settled. I'm pretty happy here. Things are going all right for me, and I'm just going to settle right here in the low spot and, and cuddle up and, and me and God. I'm just going to curl up. That's not God. God is going to push you out of your comfort zone because he wants to reveal things to you about his nature that you can never learn in the comfort places. You're going, that's just great. I have a God that's always going to lead me to difficult places just so that he can show you that he's got it. And he's got it. And so some of you, as you come and you begin to take a risk of faith, you know that when you do that, for some of you that come from families that may not understand your relationship with the Lord, 
that may not have your faith background. There are some of you that will face times when your family shame on you a little bit. They may, they, they may make fun of you, and they may ridicule you, and they may laugh at you through your face or behind your back. And some of you recognize that, but you do know that whatever the Lord leads you into is going to be greater than their mocking of you. And so it's a risk for you. Some of you recognize that in taking a risk of faith, it means that you are pushing, putting your future on the line. There is something that maybe you have planned or maybe you hope for, and you feel the prompting of the Lord saying, I need you to risk this. And it might be that what God wants to give you is something better than what you have. And he doesn't want you to settle for good when he's got best over here. And it's a risk because, your Lord, if I give this up, how do I know that what I'm going to get is better? He just says, you're going to have to trust me in this. You're going to have to trust. And so it becomes a risk of faith for you. For some of you today, when we pray for you to be physically healed, you're going to have to, to take the risk that what you sang this morning about, I believe, becomes a reality to your heart. Not just a song, but that there would be something within you that is released in saying, I believe the word. I believe the power of Jesus' name. I believe that he loves me. I believe that he'll touch me. And I believe that he will do this. Because he's and it's a risk for you. Some of you means it's going to be taking on the role of a minority. In other words, there are going to be a lot of people that will be observers today, but the Lord wants those who will be participants in what he wants to do. And we're going to share a passage of scripture in a moment about how most of the crowd was observers. But when you begin to approach the Lord with purpose, you become one that he can do something in and through. And for all of us today, it will mean that as we take a risk of faith, that we are taking a stand, that we will lift Jesus higher, that what he does in us will not be because we've deserved it or that we have earned it, but it will be by his grace, and all we can do is lift up Jesus higher and say, it was by his grace that he has done that, not because I deserve it. And so I'm going to take a risk and lift up the name of the Lord so that other men may be drawn to him. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to the Gospel of Mark, the fifth chapter. And I want to read a passage of this chapter. I will refer to all of it as we go through it. But I want to read a passage starting in, in verse 21. When Jesus had again crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered around him while he was by the lake. Then one of the synagogue rulers named Jairus came there. Seeing Jesus, he fell at his feet, and he pleaded earnestly with him. My little girl is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she might be healed and live. So Jesus went with him. A large crowd followed, pressing around him. And a woman was there who had been the subject of bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had, yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. Immediately, bleeding stopped, and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. At once, Jesus realized that power had gone out from him. He turned around in the crowd and he asked, who touched my clothes? 
to see the people crowding around you, his disciples answered. And yet you can ask, who touched me? But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. When the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet and trembling with fear, told him the whole truth, he said to her daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be free. Lord, I pray that you would take your work now and your word now and that you would add the ingredient of your anointing because that is what leads us in truth. And that through your Holy Spirit, you will lead each of us to the elements of this passage of Scripture that we need to be fed with this morning because I believe that it will be different nuggets for each of us. And so, Lord, I pray that now that you are opening the bakery of your word, that you would grant to us the fresh bread of life and that we may eat it and be healed. In Jesus' name, amen. This is quite an amazing chapter in the Bible. In fact, it's it's brimming with impossible cases. It's been called the Bible home for the incurables, fifth chapter of Mark. Because there are three cases in this chapter that are absolutely Human speaking, from our viewpoint, absolutely impossible. There was a demonic man who was possessed by many spirits that they had to chain up, and he was so powerful under the demonic spirits that he would break the chains, and and people tried to stay away from him that God healed. There was the diseased woman that we just read about, and there was a dead girl. All three cases considered absolutely impossible in the Lord's day and in our day until Jesus goes up. And then suddenly what is impossible doesn't seem so hard. These cases within this particular chapter demonstrate to us that risk takers of faith are in the majority or in the minority and the majority of people sit back and just observe. The passage declares to us today to use the faith that we have rather than measuring it to see if your faith is sufficient. Now here's Here's what I want you to get from this. There are those that teach that if your faith is strong enough, that God will do whatever you demand. They're people of faith, and they said, if your faith reaches a certain threshold, that when you get there, God will do everything. I believe clearly that the Scripture is indicating to us, in its totality, that every one of us have been given a measure of faith that is perfectly capable of touching God And anything is possible. In other words, you don't have to have a hurdle that you have to reach. You just have to use what you have. And then as you release your faith in God at whatever level he's given to you, he responds to your trust. He responds to your belief. And miracles take place, not because you reach the threshold, but because you use what you have as you follow him. So the challenge of faith this morning is this. I want to encourage you to stir up that gift with it as that is within you, according to 2 Timothy 1.6. To stir up the gift of faith that you have been given. Now, as we take a look at this passage this morning, and we begin to look at this woman a little bit more closely, the first thing that you're going to notice about her is that she was fragile. She was a fragile woman. It tells us in verses 25 and 26, the woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had, yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. We're told that this woman has an issue of blood. In other words, she is hemorrhaging. The very thing that gives your body strength, the very thing that gives you life, she is losing on a regular basis 
day by day, and we don't know what caused it, but we just know that she's very weak, and she is a very sick woman, and chances are, after 12 years, there had to be days when she thought it's never going to change. Have any of you been in the experience that lasted long enough that you thought, nothing is ever going to change? If so, I want you to know that the Word of God says He has no time limit on when and how He will do something in your life. She had suffered physically. From all of the blood loss, this poor woman probably was very weak, probably anemic. She probably had an appearance of being very pale. She would have had no energy at all, and the least of efforts would probably wear her out. And so she would have been what we considered kind of just a weak and pathetic looking and, and just nothing there that would give you the ideal that the idea that there was strength in her. In fact, the word plague in scripture is the same word that's translated whip in other places of scripture, giving us the idea that her disease was like a whip that was constantly beating her down day by day both mentally, physically, exhausted and wondering if anything would change. So when I read in the scripture that she had suffered under the care of many doctors, that word just kind of leapt at me. And, and so I did a little research as to what some of the, the medical doctors of that day and time would do for a woman who was suffering an issue of blood. And, and I found a, a rabbi who had done some studying on this. His name was Rabbi Dachanan. And this is what he said would have happened to this woman. Some of the things that would have been done was she would have been told to take the gum of an Alexandria tree and mix it with alum and the juice of a bruised crocus plant, mixing them together, let them be bruised together in wine, give it to the woman, and then declare that her issue of blood is done. If this failed, take nine stalks from Persian onions. I don't even know what a Persian onion is. Boil them in wine, give it to her to drink, and tell her, arise from your bleeding. Should this fail, set her in a place where two paths meet, and let her hold a cup of wine in her hand, and let somebody come behind her and scare her, and say, arise from your bleeding. That sounds like hiccups to me. I just, I just started giggling when I read that. Should that do no good? Take a handful of cumin and a handful of crocus and a handful of phenogreek and let these be boiled and given to her to drink and then say, arise from your bleeding. Should that fail? You love this one. Dig seven trenches. It's better. And burn in these trenches the cuttings of young vines. In other words, vines that are not yet four years old. And let her take in her hand a cup of wine and let her be led from trench to trench as the ashes are still warm. And as she arises from each trench and goes around to all seven of them, as she is removed from each one, declare to her, Arise and be healed from your bleeding. Now, we look at that and say, Idiots. Does that not give you a little bit of a hint of how she had suffered from the doctors of that day? It's, it's hard to imagine the kind of indignities that she must have suffered because when you get hopeless, you'll try anything. She had not only suffered physically, she had suffered socially. She couldn't be married. 
Because through physical contact, her husband would become defiled. And so if she'd ever been married, her husband would have been forced to divorce her. She couldn't work around others because of the danger of defilement. And so this reduced her life to being completely isolated from everybody. She couldn't even have conversations with people that she would be close to. So she was forced to beg for food from a distance from people. Her condition left her on the fringes of society. Not only had she suffered socially, but she had suffered emotionally as well. Since the Bible says that she had been this way for 12 years, we probably understand that this was a condition that started for her in early puberty. And so all through her formative years, she has been isolated as an outcast and emotionally shoved away without friendships and without people to speak to. In fact, she probably found herself in a place where she was absolutely lonely and in despair. Can you imagine having nobody She suffered religiously. Under Levitical law, if you want to read it, you can find it in chapter 15 of Leviticus. This woman was considered for her whole life unclean. As a result of that, anybody that she touched on purpose or accidentally would also be considered ceremonially unclean and would have to go through a cleansing process. As a result, she was not able to mingle with anybody in public. If she accidentally touched them, she had to let them know that they had been defiled. And so she was not even allowed to go to the place in the temple court where women would be allowed to go. She couldn't even go to church because she was unclean. And she lived with this stigma all this time. The Bible tells us that she had suffered financially. She had spent all she had. I don't know if there's anything more hopeless than after you've spent your last dime and nothing worth recognizing. Oh no. I'm completely isolated. Completely shut up in society, and now I don't even have money to support myself because I bought the last dog limit. Surely And at the end of all of that, the scripture says, Yet instead of getting better, but there was something else about her. We read in verses 27 and 28 when she heard about Jesus. For those of you that, that like to write in your Bible, I would circle that word heard, because that's an interesting word. In it. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak, because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. The scripture indicates very clearly that she was at least close enough to people that she could hear something. And I've often wondered about this. Was it, was it that she heard from other outcasts who may have experienced the healing in their body that they came close enough to where they came from, said, listen, you got to meet this Jesus because there's something about him that changes everything. And she heard that way. Or was it that as he was walking by, other people had touched him and been healed, whatever it was, somebody had shared with her somehow a testimony of the power of Jesus. And because she heard something, it gave her hope that maybe, maybe he would do the same for her. And so after hearing this from whatever source she heard from, she begins to make her way through a crowd. And again, for those of you that are like me, I have to picture this scene in my mind. That's that's the way I learn it. And I'm picturing a crowd. Number one, Jesus is probably walking with haste with Jairus, who knows that his daughter is deathly ill, and Jesus is on a journey with him 
to go and take care of her. The cloud is probably trying to keep up with him because wherever he is, they want to be around. And here's this woman that has no energy, no strength, who can't be around people, who probably has put a hood over her head and covered her face so that only her eyes show, so that nobody will see her, know who she is, and stone her to death. And in the middle of this, this fearless woman begins with whatever energy she has left to beat her way through the crowd and elbow her way through. And somehow she gets to a place where she can at least see him. And she's trailing him from the back. She recognizes, I don't need him to touch me. I just need to touch him. I don't need his attention in this. I just believe, I believe, I believe that if I can touch him, something will take place. It's my last and only hope. And so Jesus, being a rabbi, was wearing a uh, a robe that had tassels on it, as the rabbis did of the day. And the scripture indicates that as she launched herself forward, she was able to grab a hold of the tassel and perhaps even wrap it around her finger as he's walking, someone dragging a little bit. And in that moment, as she touched his tassel with faith, power began to flow from the Lord, and instantly something transformed within her. It tells us in Luke 6.19 that people had all tried to touch him because power was coming from him and healing them all. So there have been other occasions where people just touched him and were healed and so were faith. Because I believe. She had come to realize that this was her only hope. She believed with all of her heart that if she could just get to him, she would be healed. So with great risk, great risk, or had she been recognized, her life was She didn't think about the residents. She didn't think about the crowd. She thought, this is my home. And it was one of the risks. We also look at this passage and we see that this woman was incredible. Verse 29 says, immediately, Immediately her bleeding stopped and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. Immediately. Jesus is on a journey with a man whose daughter's died. His focus is not on what's behind him. But so great is his power, so great is the power in his being, that anyone who comes to him face withdraws from him. And so she, with great faithfulness, reaches out and touches him. And the Bible says, immediately, at the touch of the fringe that was hanging off his garment, immediately something happened within her. And I don't know how to describe it. The Bible simply says, immediately, she knew. Immediately, she knew. I don't know if strength began to enter into her. I don't know if color came back to her face. I don't know if instantly there was something that happened within her. But something instantly and immediately happened within her. And she knew her faith had been, had been uh, And she received in an instant, in an instant, what none of the other doctors could give her with all of the money that she had paid for and the painful remedies and the humiliating remedies. So instantly. Verse 30 says, and once Jesus realized that power had gone out from him, he turned around in the crowd and he asked, who touched my clothes? So I want you to picture this. This huge crowd. Now, 
best way I can describe this is for those of you that are Black Friday shoppers and you're getting there to Walmart at 4.30 in the morning. There's people inside that are holding the doors closed, staying there with brooms and bats. They have told you that they have two TVs on sale. If you're one of the first two, you can get it. People gave up their Thanksgiving meal to be in this line. And suddenly the doors open and the workers scatter. And the crowd begins to crowd in those little elbows. Boom, boom. You know, that's probably what this was like as people were trying to get near Jesus. And, all of them. and as they're bundling around and bouncing around, Jesus suddenly stops and starts to go, Whoa! Who touched me? Now this woman had fallen down to grab him, so it was likely that she was very close to him in the family. And the disciples look at Jesus and say, All that touches me. No. He says, I realize this power. Let him begin to release that upon us if we can believe. The power is going to flow in us. And it's not something that we're dragging out of God, it's something that He stands there willing, willing and ready to give to us as we come believing. But Jesus in that instant stopped. And he turned around in the crowd and he asked, Who touched my clothes? Now, can you imagine everybody else that had been touching his clothes but nothing was happening? They're going, I, I didn't mean to. I just. I was just trying to get close, trying to hear what you were saying. And then there's this woman laying in front. Who instantly, at the very moment that Jesus stops and turns around, has just recognized power has left him, flown into her, and she's changed. And now, she didn't want to be recognized. She didn't want him to touch her. She just wanted to touch and run. And Jesus won't allow it, because something has happened. And he turns around and he looks at her. And in verse 32, once he realized it's gone out of him, he turns around in the crowd and he says, Who touched my clothes? Because you see people crowding all over the ground. Jesus kept looking around at who did this. Now the crowd has stopped. Jesus has stopped and he's looking around. Which one of them? He probably had to be upset. I don't know how he said And in a moment, after he knows that virtue has gone out of him, and he already knew she was there, and he already knew what had happened. But because she was afraid of rejection, she was rejected for a long time. Her whole life had been lived in isolation. Her whole life had been abused. Her whole life had been one of, get away from me. She was afraid that Jesus, everything she heard about him, might not be true in that moment. She was afraid that he was going to say, why did you do that? You're not supposed to touch me. Because every other religious leader and every other doctor Just looking around at the and then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, 
other words, she knew she'd been healed, which gave her the strength to tell him she'd been healed. I'm ready to give a testimony now because you can't take back what you just gave me. Knowing what had happened to her, she came and fell at his feet. Now she's gone from behind him to moving around in front of him. Suddenly there was something within her that gave her a reason to live, a reason to hope. I no longer have to fall apart. I don't have to touch anyone now. I can identify myself. And she comes in front of him and she falls down at his feet. And she's trembling with fear. Can you picture this? This is a frightened woman, trembling with fear, and told him the whole truth. And then verse 13. Jesus said to her, Daughter, I want you to come back. As I was studying this this week, I, there was time that this was from the perspective of this woman. Who's this the healer? Who knows the names that she's been called throughout her life? Who knows the things that people have hurled at her as insults because of her unclean nature and because they were afraid of catching things? Who knows the things that she had been beaten down with verbally through all of the years and Jesus stops at his first word wondered what was going to happen. She lived in isolation, but from this moment, the moment that he touched his face, this moment, you see, she received not only a physical healing in her body, she received a spiritual healing. She went from being on the outside of faith to inside faith. She went from being alone without Christ to having him be her savior. It was a transformation of her identity as well as her family. He said to her daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be free from your sin. I love the nature of Jesus who after she has received healing and after he has identified her, remember, he's on the way to go someplace. He's, he's on his journey. She interrupted the journey. That tells me that there's never a moment, regardless of what's going on in everybody else's life, that Jesus doesn't have time for you. I've had people with, that I've prayed with in the hospitals, and, and, and there are times when one of you will be in the hospital, and I'll just stop at the next bed over if you're in a room with somebody else. And say, is there anything I can pray with you about? And I've had people say, oh, please don't pray for me. God is... God's got bigger things to worry about than me. Oh, please don't do that. Don't bother God with me. And, and we get this idea that God is like us and he has this checklist and he goes, don't interrupt me. You know, that's not him at all. He says, as you're on the journey of life, interrupt me. Whatever's happening to you is important for me. I don't want to be there for you. This woman touched him in the middle of the journey. I want to just read you the end of the chapter. Because of the interruption, the little girl died. Now, there could have been in that moment, can you imagine Jairus standing there thinking, all this time he's thinking, if Jesus can get to my daughter and touch her, she gets healed. And so this woman comes along, causes a commotion, she gets healed. Jesus stops, has a conversation to her, 
speaks to her that she's now in the family. She's a daughter now. Tells her to go in peace. She will have the first good night's sleep in her life. And then the people come and say, Stop. Can you imagine how robbed she was? Can you imagine the initial response within his heart of looking at that woman? You spoke the healing from among you. Jesus says, Let's be and they get to Jairus' house, and, and in verse 40 it says, Jesus walked in, actually verse 39, he went in and he said to them, Why all the commotion and the wailing? The child is not dead but asleep. And then all these people who were wailing one verse before are laughing at him now. See, this is the wisdom age we're talking about. And after Jesus put them all out, he took the child's father and mother and the disciples who were with him, went into where the child was, and he took her by the hand. Now, this is a dead girl. And he takes her by the hand, and he says to her, little girl, I say you get up. And immediately the girl stood up, and she walked around the room before he told her. Now here's the verse that I want you to capture, because I wrote really big letters next to it. Really big letters next to it. At this they were all completely astonished. If you and I were in a room where Jesus walks in, takes a dead person by the hand, and says, go ahead, get up. And she got up. That's the understatement of all time. They were down. Then verse 33, this is the one that just gets me. He gave them strict orders not to let anybody know about this. Really? Really? You don't think a girl that the whole room of people out there knew was dead comes walking out of the room, they're not going to think something happened in there? I, sometimes the Bible's just funny. What was Jesus thinking? Now, Right. That's a secret that nobody was keeping. All that to say, the three impossibilities of this chapter were all healed in this chapter. So whatever impossibilities you come with today, I want you to know this power is greater than your weakness and your illness. Here's how it happened. One day she heard. One day she listened. One day she believed. One day she risked. One day she obeyed. One day she overcame her fear. And that day she was healed. That day she was healed. I want today to be that day for you because Jesus is here today. Now here's what I'm going to ask you to do. I'm going to ask the worship team to come. And they are going to lead us in a song, and I want you to stand with me. And when they are finished singing, I'm going to give you instructions. Because we're going to have a group of women that are over here to pray for ladies. We're going to have a group of men over here that are going to be praying. We're going to ask the rest of you, if you can stand, you can stand in the aisle. If you need to sit until the time comes, you can do that. But we are going to anoint with oil because it tells us in James that if you're sick, come and be anointed with oils, and the prayer of faith will save the sick. I want you to understand that the same thing that happened to this woman can happen to you. If you're here today and you're not in relationship with Jesus, don't let that stop you from coming. Because it can change your relationship and heal your body in one quick motion. Today you could become a daughter and you could become a son. And if you're already one, then you know that the power of God is here. Do you believe? Do you believe? Stand with me, please.